Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Brent. I'm one of the elders here at ACF Church, and it is my privilege to lead you today in bringing you the Word of God from Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Brian has also asked me to uh, give an update on our preparations for Czech Republic, and I will do that in a little bit. But first, I want to welcome all those who are joining us online. Thank you for joining us this morning in this way. We're walking through a series right now, through the book of Romans, and the series is called Explicit Grace. Now, explicit can mean graphic or offensive, but it, it can also have another meaning. That other meaning can mean stated clearly and in detail, as in, I gave you explicit instructions not to put my favorite wool sweater in the dryer. Okay? Now, grace is free and undeserved favor, as in, I forgive you for turning my favorite sweater into something that a Barbie doll can wear. So explicit grace is therefore a clear, comprehensive explanation of God's undeserved favor in our lives. And this is what much of the book of Romans is about. Noted pastor and author John Piper had the following to say about the book of Romans. The letter to the Romans, written by the Apostle Paul, is the most influential letter that has ever been written in the history of the world. And it has had, it has had impact on the world beyond all other letters. In the Bible, among the letters of the New Testament, I would say it is the fullest statement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Piper took 41 sermons to preach through the section of scripture that I'll be bringing today. I'm happy to let you know that I've gotten it down to under two hours, so we're in really good shape. Before we jump into the text, I want us to take a look at the first century church. The first followers of Jesus were Jewish. Jesus' disciples were Jewish. And most of those who early on believed that Jesus was the Messiah were Jewish. However, a significant portion of Jewish, the Jewish population rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Meanwhile, a group of people who had been traditionally considered religious outsiders, the Gentiles, began placing their faith in Jesus. And they did this without first becoming Jewish. And God accepted these Gentiles, even though they did not practice Jewish practice. We read that God accepted them in Acts chapter 18. You can read about that later. Now, similarly, the Roman church began primarily with a group of Jewish followers of Jesus. But as time progressed, some Gentiles in Rome became Christians and became integrated into the church. Then in AD 49, the Roman emperor Claudius expelled some of the Jews from Rome because of some dissension related to, um, related to the Christian message. And so for a time, the Roman church developed without much Jewish influence. But after some time progressed, some, some of these uh, Jewish believers started migrating back into Rome and into the Roman church. And so there's this immigration thing happening. And um, it's not a surprise that issues developed between Jewish Christians who still followed the law and the Gentile Christians who did not follow the law. 
When Paul wrote the letter to the Romans around A.D. 57, it seems as though there's, um, there's a majority of Gentile believers in the Roman church with the minority of Jewish believers. Paul writes the book of Romans largely to address tensions between these two groups. Aren't you glad that we live in 2017 and that issues such as race, culture, immigration, and religious practice are no longer divisive? We've come so far, haven't we? One of the first things for us to remember as we look at this passage is that Paul is a Jew. And not just any Jew. This guy has some serious credibility. He was circumcised on the eighth day according to Jewish law. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews and likely even spoke Aramaic, the uh, the, the uh, language of the Israelite people of the day. He was a Pharisee, a member of the strictest uh, religious sect. So he was like spiritual elite. Uh, not only this, but he was zealous. Uh, before he encountered Jesus, he was an avid persecutor of the church. He was blameless under the law, and in fact, he followed it to a T. But after Jesus encountered Paul on the road to Damascus, Things changed radically for Paul, and his life was transformed, and his Jewish resume was no longer the most important thing in his life. Paul sees that many of the people of Israel with whom God had established a covenant, a promise, a pledge, that they are not walking with him. Romans 9, 1-3, Paul writes, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul thinks of the Israelites as his brothers and sisters, his kin, and it really impacts him that they are not following after Jesus. And to the point where he says, I would consider, if possible, trading in my salvation so that they would respond to the gospel. Now, on a regular basis, as Pastor Brian is up here, when he speaks and he's done, he prays for us, before he leaves the platform, he says four words to us. Call out, what are those four words? I love you guys. And I totally believe him. But let me ask, what would it be like if at the end of the sermon, Brian prayed for us and then he said, you know, I've been thinking, and if God would grant me the, the ability to trade in my very own salvation, be eternally cursed, so that the people of Alaska would respond to the gospel, I would totally do it. I think there'd be this quiet hush in the room, a little bit of an awkward pause, followed by a collective, whoa, that's another level. That is what Paul is experiencing. That is his anguish for his fellow Israelites. Instead of responding to the gospel of Christ by faith, they are attempting to establish their own righteousness before God, trying to keep the law. They have rejected God's righteousness in Christ and have tried to make their own way to God based on their own works. Watch this video with me.
Now, as you were watching this, I know what you guys were thinking. You were thinking, wow, that guy did an awesome job rescuing himself, weren't you? You were thinking, that helicopter crew is lucky to have a boater like him to rescue, right? You were thinking, they are fortunate that he chose their path out of the sinking boat. Now, those are ridiculous ways to approach that. Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just like that guy can't take credit for being saved, we, we can't take credit for our salvation, and we certainly can't save ourselves. If you've been here the past few weeks, you've heard over and over again that we can't earn our salvation. None is righteous, no, not one. Paul has great sorrow that his Israelite kin are not walking in righteousness by faith before God. For those of us in this room who are Christians, do we remember what our life was like before Jesus? Imagine the path that we may have gone down had God not intervened in our lives. When we think about our friends and family who don't know Christ, who comes to mind? And what is our response? I fear that we may have forgotten what's at stake here. When was the last time your heart broke for the lost? For years, Liz and I had been praying for her Aunt Eleanor. Aunt Eleanor was a, 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 a bold atheist who claimed that she had been an atheist since the age of three. I have no idea how that happens. But we would, we would pray for her, and we would show her God's love and, and speak to her as much as she would allow us to about Jesus. And towards the end of her life, as Alzheimer's started to to steal her, her mind. She seemed to be softening a bit to, to things of, of God. But then one day we got a, a phone call. Aunt Eleanor had died. And to this day, we have no idea if she ever responded to the only one who loved her enough to send his son, so that she could have forgiveness and life and hope. I can tell you, I never want to have this experience again. This anguish is what the Apostle Paul is experiencing for his brothers and sisters, his kin, his fellow Israelites who are turning their back, who have hard hearts toward the only one who can save them. Well, since the Iditarod has just wrapped up, I have an acronym for us in honor of all of those sled dogs. The acronym is P-A-W, and it's intercede with prayer, actions, and words for those who don't know Jesus. Write that down. Intercede with prayer, actions, and words for those who don't know Jesus. Now, intercession is simply lovingly intervening on behalf of another. It starts with prayer, and most often, God opens up ways for us to intervene through our actions and through our words. As we walk alongside people who don't know Jesus, our first response should be to intercede 
with prayer, to invite God to use us in whatever way he chooses in his salvation story in somebody else's life. There is a mystery of God's sovereignty and human response. We don't know the extent to which God's grace extends, and we don't know how another person is going to respond to his grace. But what we do know is that our responsibility is to intercede, intervene on their behalf by praying for them, by showing them in our words, our actions and our words. Their response is up to them. The outcome is out of our hands. But we don't know how significant our prayer, our action, and our words could be in their life. Paul loves the Israelites. In fact, he boasts about them. He boasts about how they have been historically favored by God. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Verses 4 and 5. God adopted the people of Israel. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and he manifested his glorious presence to them in the tabernacle in the wilderness. God made promises specifically to them, and he gave them the law on Mount Sinai through Moses, and he showed them how to worship him, and he promised them good things as they would walk with him. And uh, not only this, but the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, were Israel's ancestors. And if all this were not enough, Jesus, the Messiah, the God-man, was of Jewish lineage. Paul knows this, and it causes him great pain to see that so many of his fellow Jews have rejected Jesus. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, Paul is a Jew. He is a Jew who has had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Yet, God appointed him as an apostle, a missionary, or a teacher to the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. And Paul turns his attention to address specifically, primarily, the Gentiles of the Roman church. He uses the imagery of an olive tree to describe salvation history as it relates both to Jews, Gentiles, and the people of God as a whole. We've been sitting for a while now, so what I'd like us to do is to stand up as I read this extended portion in reverence of God's word. Stand with me, please. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Verse 13, now I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, 
branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you are cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Father, please illuminate our hearts and our minds as we continue to delve into your word this morning. Amen. You guys can be seated. Last week we talked about how the issue of free will is kind of a big deal to us, but throughout history, throughout most of the world, it's not really been that much of an issue. An issue. But this week we're going to look at an issue that may not seem like a big deal to us, but it was quite significant for those in the first century church. And the issue is this, that Israel was God's chosen people. They had promises of God's favor, and yet here they were mostly turning their back on the Messiah and seemingly out of favor with God. Those in the early Roman church needed help making sense of this. And so Paul gives them a word picture, a word picture of an olive tree. Now, I wanted to get an actual olive tree um, for this demonstration, but they're kind of hard to come by in Alaska. So this will have to do, there's a better picture of one here on the screen. That is what an olive tree looks like. Okay, so there's this olive tree, and it represents the people of God, the Jewish people with whom God has established a covenant or a promise relationship. God has adopted them, brought them out of slavery, and they were saved by God's grace. They didn't do anything to earn it. It was through faith in God. But even in the Old Testament, God's plan looked toward its ultimate fulfillment through the work of the Messiah. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, was prophesied about in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. And word was that as a result of this Messiah, everything would change. That God would roll out his welcome mat, not just to the Jews, but to other people as well. Psalm 22. Fast forward a few hundred years. Jesus, who has existed for all eternity as the second person of the Trinity, comes to earth as a Jewish man. He recruits and, he recruits and trains 12 disciples who are Jewish. Jesus, the God-man, lives a perfect, sinless life, fulfills the obligations of the law, is crucified to death on a cross on our behalf. On the third day, he resurrects from the dead, and he conquers death. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the door through which we must walk in order to find God. 
Ephesians 2 tells us that salvation is the gift of God through faith in Christ. It's not something we can ever earn. By refusing the gift of God, the Jewish people were broken off from the tree. It's a very sad day. Now, there's another group of people in this uh, illustration represented by wild olive shoots. Um, They're a bit different than the cultivated olive tree. They didn't have the benefit of, of, of being delivered by God in a miraculous way out of slavery in Egypt. They didn't have the, um, the, the rich Jewish heritage. They didn't have the opportunity to see God's glorious presence in the tabernacle. Um, their ancestors were not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the Gentiles. That's me and that's most of you. And there are some of these Gentiles who, by the grace of God, put their faith in God through Jesus, the Messiah. These Jesus-following Gentiles are wild olive shoots that are grafted into the olive tree, okay? Grafted in, that's not going anywhere. Now, grafting is a horticultural process whereby tissues of plants are joined together so as to continue their growth together. The upper part of this is called the scion, and the lower part is called the rootstock. As a result of these Gentiles being grafted in, they become a part of the body of Christ, the people of God. These wild olive shoots that are grafted in benefit from the nourishment that comes up through the rootstock. As Ephesians 2.19 puts it, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, some of the advantages of grafting plants include greater production of fruit, higher quality fruit, hardiness and disease resistance that passes up from the rootstock into the scion, and variety. There's one guy who even cultivated a tree that produces 40 different types of fruit. Uh, Peaches, apricots, plums, cherries, and nectarines. So the people of God are a diverse lot. In fact, in in Revelation chapter 7, we look forward to the day when a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language will stand before the throne of God glorifying him for salvation. What a tree. This ingrafting of Gentiles should have been a great cause for celebration. And it is. But before the party begins, Paul stops for a moment and he wants to issue a word word of warning to the majority Gentile church in Rome. Paul tells them not to become arrogant or prideful against the branches that have been broken off. He tells them not to become prideful 
about their own position in this as people of God, because then if they become prideful, they would be guilty of the same sin that the Jewish people were guilty of in, in being prideful of their position, but not remembering that it's by grace that they have been saved. They are told to remember God's kindness to them and also his severity to those who are cut off. It's like he is saying, God is a kind father and you need to have a healthy reverence for him. It's like he's saying, dwell in his kindness and don't reject his son. Most of us are Gentiles and if you are a Christian, you are grafted into God's people. The Roman Gentile Christian's story is not that different from our story. So how are we to live in the midst of a culture that largely rejects God? Well, Paul reaches out to the Gentiles with the gospel, with the hope that they will respond to the message. But he also hopes that Israel will be jealously drawn to the Messiah. We are to live our lives in such a way that draws people into the kingdom of God. Without getting all political, I want to ask us this question. How should Christians in 2017 live in a world that is facing an immigrant crisis that is consisting primarily of those who don't know Jesus? Think about it. Pray about this before you have a knee-jerk reaction. Liz and I have uh, done a fair amount of pet sitting in our day. And one of the things that we've learned over the years is that not every dog that you call will come to you. We were pet sitting for these two dogs, uh, Dolly and Charlie. And we learned that, that sometimes you'd call for Charlie and she wouldn't come to you. But one of the things we recognized is that, that if Dolly was nearby, all you had to do was heap praise on Dolly. Oh, Dolly, you're such a good dog. And wherever Charlie was, she would come running. Like, I want some of that love. That's good stuff. That's an example of being drawn in through jealousy. A, a human example of this. Some years ago, Liz and I um, were talking with a, a neighbor of ours. This was a woman who had made some really bad choices in her life. She had some bumps and bruises. Um, she had a lot of relational issues. And she said to us, uh, if I ever decided to get married, I'd want it to be like you and Liz. Liz and I didn't know it, but we were being watched. And there was something about our life, about our marriage, that drew her in. She wanted to have something like what we had. I think that one of the reasons ACF is growing is because that as people encounter us, they sense that there's something different here. It's Jesus, and he impacts the way we treat our families, the way we spend our money, the way we celebrate, the way we handle things when life is difficult, the way we live our lives together. People are drawn into this. Write this down. Live your life so that it draws others to Jesus. Live your life so that it draws others to Jesus. 
We don't always get to choose our circumstances, but we do get to choose our response, how we respond to our circumstances. As the saying goes, bloom where you are planted. If you are promoted, or if you're passed over for a promotion, if uh, you are really proud of your kids, or if your kids have mastered the art of embarrassing you in public, um, if you are really strong and you have good health, or if you are dealing with a long-term illness. Each of these things can be used by God to transform our character, to glorify God, and to draw others in to a relationship with God. Ask God how to do this. He delights in these kinds of prayers. In chapter 10, right in the middle of this passage, we see that we play a specific role in reaching those without Christ. Romans 10, 13 to 15, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There's a progression here of being sent to proclaim the saving power of Jesus so that people can hear, believe, call on Jesus, and be saved. Doing this in another culture is called missions. Pastor Brian has asked me to give an update on our preparation for uh, future ministry in Czech Republic. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Liz and I are preparing to go to Czech Republic as missionaries for two years. ACF Church is sending us through an organization called TEAM, the Evangelical Alliance Mission. Our desire is to show the love of Jesus to the people of Czech Republic. We, antici we anticipate studying the language teaching conversational English, working in South City Church, um, which is in Prague. And um, we also anticipate showing orphans that they have a father who loves them. And once we get settled, we'd love to have some of you, not all of you at once, but have some of you come and visit us and be a part of what God is doing, seeing what God is doing in Czech Republic. We've been walking through a process called partnership development, looking for prayer and financial support. And some of you have already joined in this um, through, um, through directly through team.org or through our church's website. And we want to thank you for this. If God lays that on your heart to, to help us in this way, we would welcome this. Um, we want to let you know that we are now at 75 percent of our pledged monthly support for the time that we are in Czech Republic. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, thank you, yeah, thank you. Give God credit for that. In February, we went to North Carolina for some training with other people from team who were going to be serving all around the world. And here are some of the life lessons that we are learning as we prepare to serve God in another culture. Maybe some of you can relate to these things. Um, if you've moved up, moved up to Alaska from another place, some of these things may even relate in your current circumstance. So these are things that we are currently learning. First, as, as cross-cultural workers, we need to withhold judgment at first, build trust with those around us, and have a high tolerance for ambiguity. 
Cultural adjustment typically involves a honeymoon phase during the first three months of living overseas, followed by an emotional pit around month six, and then it gradually gets better. Home has less to do with location and more to do with people. Can any of you relate to that being in Alaska? Yeah. We have an enemy. The devil doesn't play fair. He will attack us when we are down, and he wants to destroy our families. With regard to spiritual vitality, we need to put on our own oxygen mask first, and then help others. And God's plans are bigger, involve more people, and are more creative than our plans could ever be. We're in the final few months of preparation for going to Czech Republic. We hope to arrive sometime this summer. We're just beginning the visa process, a rather complicated 18 steps using blue ink, not black ink, and obtaining official Czech translations of key documents to be sent to the Czech consulate, which is conveniently located in Los Angeles. We've seen God's faithfulness so far, and so we trust him with the extra stuff that we're facing now. We are saddened at the prospect of leaving ACF Church for this season and leaving Alaska. We love it. It's our home. And at the same time, we are looking forward to showing the people in Czech Republic that they have a Heavenly Father who loves them so much that he sent his son so that they can have forgiveness and hope and life to the fullest. Now, you've heard some of the life lessons that we are learning. I'd like you guys to take a minute and write down some of the lessons that God is teaching you guys in your life. So take a minute and write down one or two things that God is teaching you right now. This is something you can share with your family later or your life group. Okay, let's get back to this tree. To recap, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ, period. None of us deserves to be in this tree, but God in his grace has drawn us into his favor so that we can be part of his people. We shouldn't boast that we are special because of our position in the body of Christ, but we are to be grateful to God and live lives that draw others in to relationship with God. Remember at the beginning of chapter 9, Paul presents a problem that the Israelites have turned their backs on God and appear to be missing out on the promises that he has for them? Well, at the end of this section in chapter 11, Paul circles back to this problem and he indicates that the same grace which has been poured out on us as Gentiles in this age will be poured out on Israel as well. And they will eventually respond favorably to his grace and be drawn back into the kingdom of God. Romans 11:25 and following, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer, capital D, 
will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This partial hardening of Israel will continue until the fullness of Gentiles comes in. Then there will come a day toward the end of history, around the time of Christ's return, when there will be a great awakening among the people of Israel. And many will place their faith in Christ and be saved. This, my friends, is very good news. Though none of us deserve it, God has been faithful to the people of Israel. He has generously provided a way for Gentiles to be grafted into his people, for us to have the possibility of a place in his kingdom. God's faithfulness to the people of Israel is an indication of his faithfulness to us. And as recipients of his grace, we are able to look forward to the day described in Revelation when people from every nation and tribe and tongue and language will be able to stand before the throne of God, giving glory to him for providing salvation for us. Now, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to see the Apostle Paul as he is writing the last part of, of chapter 11. Because he's really excited, you can tell. He's reflecting on God's grace and provision for both Jews and Gentiles. And I, I think he may have looked a little bit like this as he is writing it. He may have looked a little bit like Snoopy doing the happy dance. Because he bursts out in praise to God. He bursts out and he says, well, I'm going to read it to you. But write this down as recipients of God's grace. We have every reason to be the world's most grateful people. In closing, I want us to listen to these words of the Apostle Paul as he expresses marvel that God would open the floodgates of salvation to Jews and Gentiles alike. Romans 11, 30, 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Join me in prayer. Father, you are amazing. Thank you for sending Jesus that we may experience forgiveness, freedom, and fullness in this life. May we not take for granted such a great thing as salvation. And may we live lives that draw others to you. Lord, as we live our lives, our desire is to make sense of this world around us. We want to understand this world. We want to understand you. But as the limits of our understanding are reached, and as the mystery of who you are begins, may we respond with awe, wonder, and worship. Please help us to see ourselves as you see us, to see this world as you see this world, and to know that you are with us. And Father, for those in this room who may not have yet responded to you, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you extend your grace to them? Draw them near to you that they may know you. Would you soften the hearts 
of each of us to hear what you have for us. Would you give us joy for what you have done in our lives, a sense of amazement at being in your family, and a passion that points to you. May we never stop telling the story of what you have done. Father, every good gift comes from you, and we praise your name today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks. I love you guys.